We've been in a series the last several weeks. It's entitled, Help Me Understand Holiness, is what we've been talking about. And while uh, the subject of holiness is never a topic on TMZ or ESPN or Fox and Friends, it's a glaring need in our society, right? I mean, if you just look at the news, you can tell. I, you, daily sexual harassment, daily political corruption, daily media slander, daily racism issues, daily, we could, I mean, we can make a giant laundry list of things that show up every single day in our news stories because our world and our nation desperately needs a fresh wave of holiness to wash over it. Our world just doesn't understand that holiness, true holiness, is a desirable thing. I mean, it, it's holiness that allows and equips a person to be patient and kind and faithful and gentle. It's holiness that empowers them to be loving and gentle and joy-filled and truthful, self-controlled. It's holiness that causes a person within to care as much about the other person as they do about themselves. I, this doesn't just happen. It's because holiness is present. It's not just an educational thing. It's a spiritual thing. And because of that, true holiness is the foundation of all healthy relationships, all true freedom. Every one of us is called by God to pursue true holiness. Every one of us. Jesus didn't just save us because he wanted us to not go to hell. He saved us because he wants us to be holy. You see, this is part of it. Like he's holy. This is God's dream for you, for me. And so we've been in this series, and today we're going to be taught by Jesus about how holy people handle money. And as you might be would think, it's a little different than how we would naturally be inclined to handle it. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We're kind of working our way through some of Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and uh, eventually toward Matthew 7 as we get uh, a couple more weeks under our belt here. But uh, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible of your own on the shelf in front of you, uh, there are a number of Bibles there. You can grab one of those or worst case in a little bit, you can follow along in this, uh, on, on the screen with me. But while you're finding that spot, Matthew 6, I want to tell you a quick story that I heard from a well-known pastor and author, John Ortberg, related to the subject of the day. Several years ago, he and his wife, uh, Nancy, were trying to teach their daughter about the right way to handle money. And in his words, he says, when our kids were little, we put them on the envelope system. We gave them an allowance. They would put it in envelopes. And the envelopes were labeled give, save, gifts, spend, and so on, he writes. I thought it was working until one day I had a Band-Aid on my arm, he says. And my daughter, who at the time was about six, pointed to the Band-Aid and with very sheepish eyes asked, Why? Why, Daddy? I explained I'd gotten a medical exam that day to get some life insurance, and she asked, what's life insurance? I explained, well, honey, Daddy loves you so much and loves the family so much that if, that if anything were ever to happen to Daddy, which of course it won't, but if it did, the life insurance would give you all $250,000. He describes her eyes got really wide. She has a really tender heart, he says, so I, I knew she'd be worried. And that's when she looked up at me with her wide eyes and said, A piece? $250,000 a piece? And John concludes, he says, I'm not sure the right lesson about money was getting communicated. 
I would suspect that uh, Jesus looks at our world has a similar experience. I mean, he's been trying to teach us about money and trying to teach these kinds of things for, for centuries. And we sort of have a skewed view of this sometimes. We, we all struggle with that. And uh, many of us have heard some of the verses of Scripture we're going to read about this morning. My hope is that we'll understand them, that we'll be able to, to hear them on a heart level uh, so that they impact our lives in ways that really bring peace and bring confidence and hope about the future for financial purposes and other purposes as well. So uh, let's look at our Bibles together and learn how people who are growing in holiness and faith handle money. And this is how Jesus describes that kind of person. Matthew 6, starting at verse 19, he says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. Where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be, Jesus says. Your eyes like a lamp that provides light for your body, and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, Jesus continues. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the minds the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I mean, this is an amazingly rich passage of Scripture. There's so many directions we could go with these verses because they're, they're just so insightful uh, so descriptive of, of who God is and the nature of humanity and you and me and just things that we can learn from him about, about us and about life. But I think as you can see as we read through these verses that according to Jesus, people who are growing in, in holiness handle money, according to Jesus, a little differently than folks who have another goal. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to look together at the five money goals the five money goals of people who are committed to growing toward genuine holiness. These are not necessarily goals that you will hear a lot of other places, but they're, they're goals that you hear from Jesus. My hope is that those of us who are endeavoring to follow him will listen carefully. That we'll, Though they stretch us, we'll make them our goals. And uh, 
They've been the goals of God's people for centuries, so let's embrace them. The first money goal of people who are committed to growing toward genuine holiness is this. We need to learn to store our treasures in heaven. We need to learn to store our treasures in heaven. Jesus is real succinct about this. In verses 19 and 20, he makes it really clear not to store up treasures here on earth. Why? Moths eat them. Rust destroy them. Thieves break in and steal them. Governments confiscate them. You lose them, etc. This is his point, right? Verses 19 and 20, it's what he's saying. So what's he tell us to do instead? Verse 20, store your treasures in heaven. Or moths and rust cannot destroy them and thieves can't break in and steal them. And I just want you to think about it. Just pause with me for a moment. This is a great thing to do on a week of Thanksgiving. What are some of the things that you treasure in your life? I mean, so many reasons to be thankful. So many things that we treasure. But it's important to do an inventory of what I treasure is it money that you treasure? You, do, you prize, do you have prized possessions, something that if you were to have a fire today and you were to walk back into your house and it was gone, you just smoldering ashes and this prized possession was gone, that you would just be grieved to uh, no end in your spirit? I mean, do you treasure clothing or jewelry or property? Some of us are maybe a little more spiritual, we think to ourselves, and we, we kind of think, oh, no, I, I, ch I cherish my children and my, my grandchildren and my parents, neighbors, friends, those kinds of things. Those are, that, that's really what I treasure, what I cherish. Really what Jesus is driving at here is we all have these kinds of things and people that we treasure. How do we invest, how do we store them in heaven? How do we do that? If we had the time to walk our way through all of Scripture, what you would find, and just listening to what Jesus says here and other places as well, is that whenever you and I use things to advance God's kingdom, God's purposes in the world, whenever we use things, when we invest things, money, resources, to advance God's purposes in the world, we have transferred that thing from our possession, storing it on earth, to storing it in heaven. That's what Scripture teaches. This is part of why Jesus repeatedly himself even challenges the, the Pharisees about tithing. It's why the Bible teaches the principle of tithing. Because part of this, it's, it's the beginning point where you and I learn to break free from the grasp of money and resources on us to understand that we're giving back. It's all a gift. And as we give back, part of what happens in us is we realize that those things are never truly lost. I could give it away and yet more come. It's only in the giving that we realize that. So Jesus would teach us to store treasures in heaven that way through, through tithing or through through generosity toward those who are needy, toward uh, funding ministries or ventures that are, you, you know, near and dear to the heart of God, that as you give, as you part with it, it, it creates space in your life where you can realize and see with your own eyes, God give back to you. If we never give, we never see that. That's what we do with things. You say, well, I love my children, I love my grandchildren, I love these people in my life. How do, I, how do I store them in heaven? You have a fantastic opportunity this week with some of our family members who don't know Jesus to introduce them. 
to plant seeds, to express to them your love and appreciation for them, your love and appreciation for God and the difference that he's made in your life. When you and I introduce people to Jesus, when they come to Jesus, Jesus has died to redeem them that they might be in heaven where you will be with him one day. And when you and I choose to live that way, there are at least a couple of things that happen, a couple of results. I mean, you're going to see God work in your life and in your relationships and in your finances in real practical, tangible ways. When you and I are strategic about this, I mean, God has a habit of showing up and revealing himself to us if we just keep our eyes open and we just take it seriously. And faith will grow in us, confidence, gratitude will well up in our hearts naturally. It's a natural byproduct of learning to, to release our grasp on things so that they can be stored in the heavens. But a second result will occur, and that is it, our desires, the things that we want, the appetites of our life will, will begin to change. Jesus gets at this principle in verse 21. Look at chapter 6, verse 21, where Jesus says, "Wherever this is the principle, wherever your treasure is, okay, there the desires, the appetites, the hungers, the wants of your heart will also be. What's, what's he really getting at here? He's, saying, he's just saying, you know, if, if you and I focus our lives on things and we invest our resources and time and energy in that, guess, guess what we're going to hunger and thirst for? More things. It's a byproduct. Where you, what you treasure, that, that's, your heart is going to be there. Where, where you put your treasure is where your heart is going to go. And if those things begin to dissipate from your life or be threatened, what's going to happen inside of you? It's going to destabilize you because that which you've trusted in, that which you've longed for will be taken away from you or can be taken away from you. One of the great challenges of extreme wealth, and I've known a few people over the years who have like crazy extreme wealth. You know one of the great threats of that? How do I keep that? I mean, how do I, how do I protect that? How do I preserve it? How do I keep this wealth from not only screwing up my kids and my family, but others? I mean... There's a lot to be said for this whole money thing. It, it's a blessing and a curse simultaneously. It's not worthy of your trust, your confidence. You've got to put your confidence somewhere else. So you say, I, well, I treasure people. And that's a good thing. But if we treasure people singularly, if we, if we omit God from the equation, guess what happens as you lose people? You lose hope. Some of us have felt that. It's a natural byproduct of growing up. You know, you're, you're a kid. You become an adult. Your parents are aging. You know, they start dying and this kind of stuff. What happens inside of you? There's, there's a natural byproduct if you had a healthy family up, uh, upbringing where you trust and you treasure your parents. And as they're taking from your life, you go through this process of like giving them to God, really, and understanding that they don't belong to me. And with that, I mean, hope 
fills our souls. But until we come to that place where we entrust them to God, it's like there's this hopelessness thing that happens inside of the heart of somebody who loses a parent. For kids who are really young and, and lose their parents, this is part of, the, part of the difficulty of them processing all of that. Jesus just wants us to understand. He's just telling us there's a principle. Wherever your treasure is, what, whatever it is that you're treasuring, there the desires, the, the longings, the wants of your heart will also be. He just wants us to get this clear, which is part of why he's just challenging us repeatedly here as he does in other places to put your hope in God, to treasure him, to treasure him alone and everything else secondary to him because he becomes the source of confidence, hope, peace, joy, your future. And nobody can take him away from you. This is what he tried to teach his disciples. Don't be afraid. He says in Matthew 10, we, look, we mentioned this passage last week, you know, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body, Matthew 10, 28. Sounds crazy talk, like crazy talk, doesn't it? Don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. Crazy talk, Jesus. It's what we think to ourselves. But the truth of the matter is, if you put your hope in God, there's no need for fear. It's not how we think. It's not how we routinely operate. But that's the point Jesus is trying to get across. You don't have to be afraid of yourself. You don't have to be afraid if, you, if somebody else's life, if he takes your spouse's life and your spouse is walking in Christ. You, would you experience grief? Well, of course. Of course you would because you love this person. You cherish the relationship. We can't help but have this intertwining of relationships that come with friendships and family and so forth. But... If we've stored our treasures in heaven, nothing that's good that's from God can be taken, taken permanently from us. It's the promise of Scripture. So wherever you put your treasure, if you want your affections, your desires to change, store your treasures in the heavens. I love, uh, this is one of my favorite times of year where we're headed into here. It's uh, the holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas and so forth. And one uh, show that I watch every year, most any of you have been around for a while, you know this because I've talked about uh, this show periodically because I love it. Uh, a Christmas Carol. How many of you have watched A Christmas Carol before? Quite a few of you, most of you. If you haven't, you should. Uh, just get past the fact that it creeps you out that there are like ghosts in it and various other stuff. Just kind of process that a little bit. But... I love Christmas Carol. It's one of my favorite stories. It's, it's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge who essentially treasured things. Right? Remember that? Treasured things. More than people, more than God. What it do to his soul made him a very unholy, unloving, unkind, shriveled up soul of a man. He was a shell. He was like a walking corpse was what he was. The temptation is for us to watch that and go, man, that's horrible for that guy. And to not think, that could happen to me. But Jesus tells us these kinds of principles in Matthew 6 because he wants us to understand that, no, that can happen to all of us who store our treasures on earth. All of us who worry about, what am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Where am I going to live? 
These things dominate the minds, Jesus says, of who? Unbelievers. Unbelievers. Think about that. What's that say for you and me who are walking with Jesus, trying to, and like those things are dominating our minds? It means we got some work to do in this area. It's really what it means for us. And it can happen to us if we're not careful. And Jesus makes that point right here in the text. You maybe just haven't seen it before as you look at it. But he lays out the second goal of people committed to growing in holiness in verses 22 and 23, where he talks about bewaring of self-deception. I mean, this is a goal of handling money is bewaring of self-deception because there are a few things more deceiving than money. And look at what Jesus says. Your eyes like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have, okay, if you think you see, if it's actually darkness... How deep the darkness is. What's he talking about here? He's just laying out this whole picture of self-deception. He's doing it in an illustrative way. He's trying to convey to us that one of the biggest faith-robbing deceptions, blindnesses that can come your way or mine in life, it has to do with money. We put our security in it instead of God. And he just wants us to know that that it's a lie to believe that it's possible to serve God and money at the same time. It's a lie. You think you're seeing, but it's a deep darkness. It's a trap. That's why he uses the language he does. And then he goes on and explains and just summarizes to make sure that the point is driven home in verse 24, where he says, no one can serve two masters. I mean, he's not saying... It's not easy to serve two masters. He didn't say that. He said, no one, none of us is an exception to the rule. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, it's empirically impossible, Jesus is saying, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money at the same time. You just can't do it. It's an impossibility. Brings us to the third goal for all of us who are committed to growing in holiness, and that is eradicating the deception. But this is a stop serving money. Stop serving money. And to stop serving money, you don't have to like necessarily give it all away unless that's specifically what Jesus asks you to do. He has one guy in scripture to do it, and of course, many people ever since have been afflicted that that's what I'm supposed to do. No, no he, he will make it. Patently clear to you if he wants you personally to give everything that you have away. And I know people who he has prompted at that along those lines over the years. Thankfully, it's not most of us. But we've got to learn to stop serving money. It's the third goal of all of us who are committed to growing in holiness. We start using our money to serve God, to serve people. It's kind of long. Stick with my Ebenezer Scrooge thing. It's sort of like what Jacob Marley says, mankind is our business. Remember that? God is our business. This is, this is really what life is all about. It's not about making money. It's about living for people and God. So how do we do that? Where do we find the courage to live that kind of life? Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 as he just lays out the, the goals 
for handling money like he would teach us to, and that is the, the, the fourth goal is that we need to believe. We need to believe that God cares for us. We actually got to believe it. He's saying, don't worry about things. We've got to come to believe that God does care for us. This is the fourth goal. Look at verse 25. He says, that's why I tell you, he's not, which is just to say everything he said before is to get to this point. That's why, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear, I mean, all the things that we get all fuzzy on. Look at the birds, verse 26. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? What's his implied answer? No, of course not. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing at Solomon. All his glory... All of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he not certainly care for you? Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things. Then verse 32, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. To say that it's easy to believe that God cares for you on the front end is unrealistic. But as you and I begin to store our treasures in the heavens, as we begin to move out of self-deception and stop serving money, it's a, it's a cyclical thing what begins to happen in the heart and the soul of a person. You begin to see God show up in your life in a financial way. And the byproduct of that is the worry begins to drop on a day-to-day -day basis. And you still have these moments where things happen and it spikes and it goes nuts. But you begin to grow confident that God does care for you, that he does provide, that he does have an interest in your financial well-being and the truth is, Jesus says, he already knows what you need, and he already has a plan for that. He will just choose to view and handle money the way he does. Now, I recognize some of us are maybe skeptical enough or just struggling enough in this area because of some event or something that's happened in our life, and we're just inclined to think, I, I hear what you're saying. I agree Jesus says that. That's the preferable way to live. I just don't know if I can do it. What's my problem? Why am, I, why am I trying to do these things and not getting progress? Yet Jesus doesn't stop in these verses with ones we've read. He goes on and he lays out a fifth goal, a fifth goal. And maybe this is the one that's been the sticking point for some of us. If we're going to become more holy and faith-filled, we need to focus on today's troubles, not tomorrow's. This is very hard in a planner culture. You with me? I mean, one of the great challenges for most of us as we get older, you know, we, we kind of grow up and we have parents plan for us and do, you know, they got all this stuff and now you get older and 
It's like, drat, I got the plan. You know, some of us. And, and I got to think about college and I got to think about a job. And, and now I have to think about a, you know, you, you get all excited about some girl or some guy and it's like, no, I got a plan for them too. And, and then you get married and you have children and now I got a plan for them. And oh my goodness, they do not plan at all. All they do is disrupt all my plans. And so, you know, this, this is going on inside of us. And so there's plan, 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 plan. This is the world we live in. We have plans to make plans. We have project management software so that we can plan unbelievable, colossal scale things. This is the world we live in. And you know that because some of you run that kind of software. You know this better than I. What's the point? Jesus is saying, if you and I are ever going to come to peace in our spirits as it has to do with money, we got to turn some of that back. We got to dial it back some. We got to think about, focus on today's troubles, not tomorrow's. This is a verse that some of us don't like in the Bible, Matthew 6 34. So don't worry, read it out loud with me. I'm not even going to read it. You read it with me, okay? So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Let's read that one more time, just with a little more gusto. Because uh, we got to believe it. we got to come to believe this. We have to come to peace with it. One more time. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now let me just pause before we look at the next verse, okay? Uh, he's not saying don't plan. He's not saying don't plan. What's he saying? Don't worry. And, and maybe today's worry is to plan for tomorrow. Do you, you track with me? There's a difference here. Today, today's concern is to plan. But what happens to some of us is it's not my agenda to plan for tomorrow. I'm just going ahead and taking tomorrow's worries on today for, for the ride, for the fun of it. You know what I'm saying? So it's not really a planning. He, he, think of it this way. How many of you have ever had horses? Three of you, five of you, six of you. Horse, I, I've never had horses either, but I, but I know people who have. Are you familiar with blinders on horses? You go down to the plaza this time of year and you want to ride one of the horse-drawn carriages, you know, through the plaza streets. You'll notice that the horses have these blinders on, like this. You know what the blinders are there for? Horses are incredibly strong, but easily spooked animals. And because they're very strong, if they get carried away, what happens? They hurt people. They don't mean to, but that's the byproduct of the strength and the size of who they are as an animal. And so they put blinders on them to, uh, so that they don't panic by something that they see if their eyes are left to wander. It prevents distraction. Does that have any relevance to us? I mean, part of what Jesus is saying is he's saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Put blinders on yourself and focus on your concerns for today. I mean, there's enough to spook you today without worrying about tomorrow. What do you think that would do to the joy in our hearts if we weren't worried about tomorrow and just today? Would you feel different in here? Of course you would. 
it would not rob your joy. It would not steal your hope. It wouldn't steal your future. So Jesus is just saying, you know, one of the goals of all of us who are endeavoring to walk in holiness has to be to focus on today's trouble with blinders, not tomorrow's. Just learn to do that. You're going to succeed at that for an hour today and then begin to fail and then say, oh, I, I snap out of it and you put the blinders back on and just do that. What happens is over time it becomes more natural because God's made us that way. I mean, we learn habits. We learn these things. But we've got to... We got to put the blinders on. It becomes very difficult in our culture when you think about every other commercial as a retirement commercial to, to make you feel bad that you don't have eight gazillion dollars invested for retirement. And of course, you're going to be the one that gets Alzheimer's, AIDS, and you know all make your list of things. And you know the government will go broke. You know Social Security on your watch. Okay, this is. This is what we get fed all the time. And so it's like the whole culture is oriented around creating discontent, disequilibrium, worry in us so that we will buy their product or search out their thing or whatever. This is, it's really hard. But it is the secret both to developing holiness and peace and joy and gratitude for what God's done for me today. None of us is promised tomorrow. None of us. We could get in a car this week on a way to a trip and and the day of the Lord for me comes. You know, that could happen. Do I think it will happen? I don't think so. It's not likely. But it's not impossible. That's true for every one of us. Focus on today's worries. Don't let tomorrow's rob your joy. And then Jesus, I did these verses out of order on purpose, but at verse 33, he, he makes a point, kind of trying to help us a little bit. He just says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. He's just saying part of the, part of the key to coming to peace with this whole thing about tomorrow and and today, and I'll get that all straight, is just recognizing God will give you everything you need if you'll just focus, just focus on Him, His kingdom, His ways, His righteousness, doing the right next thing. It's what it means to live a holy life in a world where money can deceive you. So I want you to ask yourself, how, how can I seek and advance God's kingdom today? What, what's... What's God saying to you about this? What's it going to take for you, for me, to live right today? What's, what's the next right thing he's asked you, he's asked me to do? Will you focus on today's troubles, not tomorrow's? God's given you faith for today. Fully embrace it. And be grateful that he knows what you need before you ask and has a plan for that. And because he's had a plan, you don't have to obsess on the plan. 
Doesn't mean that there won't be a day come along where he'll say, hey, I want you to pay attention to this retirement. Think about that and maybe change something about what you do because of that day. But worry about it on the day that he appoints for you to do that. Not every other day. Don't worry about and obsess about your kid's college education. Don't worry about the next automobile that you need. Don't worry about whatever thing in your house is not as it should be that, you know, the, the furnace that needs replacing and it's winter and you're thinking, how am I going to pay for this? And on and on and on it goes. It'll rob you of joy at Thanksgiving. But God's dream for you is this week to be able to celebrate and next week and the week after that because you're focusing on today. Jesus here tells us how holy people handle money. Just wrestle with what he's saying to you about that this morning. And I'd say don't even wrestle with it. Just bend the knee to whatever he asks you to do. He's good and he'll provide for you. I want to close with a, a, a famous quote from a missionary who was martyred several years ago for uh, telling people about Jesus in Ecuador. His name's uh, Jim Elliott. He was a missionary. And here's what he wrote. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How could he write something like that? Because he understood what Jesus was talking about here. He understood it. None of us is going to be able to keep the things that we have. There, it's, it's a cliche. There are no horses pulling U-Haul trailers, right? It just didn't happen. You don't get to keep it. That's why Scripture talks about, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall depart, Job says. And believers have understood that for centuries. It's, it's that awareness that I can't keep this and so you're not a fool to give what you can't keep to gain what you cannot lose. Let's learn from Jim who gave his life. And guess what? The day is coming when the whole world will see he didn't lose that. He's doing just fine in the presence of God and he's got a new body and a new future for Jim Elliott, and for you. Think about that and express your gratitude for that to God this week. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Maybe some of us this morning need to look heavenward and just declare our faith in Jesus. Ask him to fill us, to cleanse us, to make us his. You can do that this morning as we pray. and Maybe some of us need to be baptized. It's an expression of that faith, as the Bible teaches. You've never done that. You can let, let us know, and we can help you plan for that. I just want to encourage you to open your heart to God in all of this, and he'll, uh, he'll bless you and meet you in that, okay? Let's pray, then we'll be dismissed. If you got, need prayer for something, come on down afterwards. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you care about us, that you're very much aware of every need, every detail of our lives. You love us. You've got a plan for all those things. We don't have to obsess on those things. Thank you for that. Thank you that these aren't just fine-sounding spiritual words. But in fact, the disciples lived this way and were amazed, astonished to discover that you really 
do care for them. They could make no plans and you, you would plan. You would provide food and clothes and housing and all kinds of things. And, and you're inviting us to learn that too. You're inviting us to understand that you fundamentally are the responsible one and that we are, in fact, your children who can partner with you in that to some degree, but we don't really have a clue how it all works. And we're just better off, more joy-filled, more good and godly, more concerned about things that really matter when, when we're in a posture of trusting you rather than trying to figure it all out on our own. This week as we celebrate Thanksgiving, Father, we thank you that you care like that. And we ask that you would help us this week to make this a week of storing up treasures in heaven. Gratitude would fill our hearts and we'd be able to bless others with the things that you've given us, that we'd be able to plant seeds of faith in the hearts of family members, that the day might come that those who don't know you would spend eternity with you and be a part of the kingdom of the heavens that is coming that we're all going to get to be a part of if we know you, if we bowed the knee to you. Help us to that end, God. Help us to focus on today and its worries and not all the worries of the future. God, we thank you that you care, that you've taught us these things. Now help us to go and do them. We'll give you credit for the good that results and rejoice to be your loved children. This is our prayer, Father. We lift it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you head out, make sure and find Paul Hildebrand. Congratulate him. And help yourself to a cupcake. Please don't squash it into the blue chairs. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving.